Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue in Romans chapter 3. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. 
Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of God. Wonderful chapter um, in terms of the truth of how we are saved as God's people. And that's what we get to talk about together in our families today then. So chapter 3 starts, what advantage has the Jew? This is coming off of chapter 2 where we learned that the law and that circumcision can't save you. right? If you try to be saved by keeping the law, you will fail. If you try to be saved by your circumcision, it will be undone. It doesn't work. And so Paul then asks a fair question. If they don't do anything, if they don't do the salvation thing, do they have any value? And he says, much. And it's an interesting note that he starts with for us then. He says, Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And that should not be overlooked, right? The, the entire Old Testament was a gift that God gave to his people. A gift that pointed them to the Savior who would come. A gift filled with promises that he made to them of how he would be their God, how he would care for them. This is no minor thing. It is not simply thrown out. It is not simply overlooked. But at the same time, the Jews didn't keep it. And so Paul continues on. What if some were unfaithful? Does their, un, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? And this is one of those questions where I think you can let Paul's question in the text be this, the very question that you ask your children. Now, you might have to clean it up if they're a little smaller, right? Um, so, does my, does my sin, does my failing to love God stop God from loving me? stop God from keeping his promises to me? And the answer to those questions is, by no means. Uh, no, right? And so this is a, a favorite phrase of Paul in the epistle to the Romans. He says this, by no means, which is meganoita in Greek. He says it ten times in the book, three times here in this chapter. So he'll throw a question at them that the answer he very quickly gives. God is true even if we're all liars. God is God, and he is faithful, even when we aren't. And this is good. Paul then cites from Psalm 51, verse 4, which is a psalm David writes in repentance after his sin that he commits by having the affair with Bathsheba and killing her husband to cover it up. God is justified in his words and in his judgments. The Lord is good. It's David that was wrong, right? It's us that are the problem, not God. Our unrighteousness, so our sin, serves to show the righteousness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. We see just how wonderful the love of God is. This is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us so much that he rescues us from our sin. That does not mean our sin is good, but our sin, despite being evil, does help us see how great the Lord is. And that then becomes one of the purposes of the law that we see flowing through this chapter. 
I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, right? The Verse 20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The, the law points us to our sin. As Lutherans like to phrase it, the law kills. And the gospel makes alive. And that's what we're seeing here in this idea then, is that the law has shown us our sin. The law helps us to realize that we have not done what God expected of us. But that God is merciful and loves us still, in spite of ourselves and our sin. Is it wrong for God to inflict wrath upon us? And the answer to that one's another no, another by no means. If God could not rightly inflict his wrath, his judgment upon the world, he wouldn't be able to judge the world. And then it really wouldn't be his world. Through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory. Forgiveness and the love of God for us abound. This is good news. Now verse 8 probably less known than the similar phrase in Romans chapter 6. Why not do evil that good may come? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound, is the Romans 6 version of that, and that is answered by another by no means response from Paul. This is not what Paul is saying that we teach. So just because God's grace and mercy and love and forgiveness are shown and poured out upon us because we are sinners, does not mean that we should go on sinning intentionally to receive more of such things. We aren't to live in evil ways. If we do, the Lord forgives, but we're not called to that. The Lord has called us out of that. Are we Jews, so Paul is a Jew, are we Jews any better off? Not at all. And then Paul goes on to quote a bunch of Old Testament scriptures to show how everyone is on equal ground before the Lord. And by that, it's the ground of death that we have all sinned. And as we'll see later in the chapter, all fallen short of the glory of God. We'll save that for verse 23 here in a little bit. So verses 10 through 18 come from all over the Old Testament. Psalm 14, 1 through 3, Psalm 53, 1 through 3, Psalm 5, verse 9, Jeremiah 5, verse 16, Psalm 140, verse 3, Psalm 10, verse 7, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 16, Isaiah 59, verses 7 and 8, and Psalm 36, verse 1. For the sake of a podcast, I simply don't have the time to take you through all those Old Testament passages. But there, that's what we have here, and you're welcome to, to do some digging and look them up. But we can focus instead on what those words from the Old Testament are saying, right? And so what do we have here? None is righteous, no, not one. Jews are no better off. Jew and Gentile both are in the same place. They're both sinners before a holy God. They have no ground to stand upon. We have no ground to stand upon. No one does good, not even one. You can't just look around the world and say, oh, look how great that guy is. Look how wonderful that woman is. We're all sinners. Not one of us can earn our salvation by our works. It hasn't happened. It won't happen. 
We're not capable of doing it. We have all sinned. None is righteous. The words of verses 13 through 18 remain true of us also. Our throat is an open grave. That means what we say brings death. Tongues deceive. The venom of asps, so asp or a kind of snake, kills. Right? Our lips bring words that kill. We don't speak life, we speak death. As we lie, as we curse, as we swear, as we tear down our neighbor instead of building up our neighbor, all sorts of things that we do, our mouth is filled with cursing and bitterness. We are quick to kill, quick to shed blood, and before us is nothing but ruin. The things we touch, we destroy. This is true of all of creation, right? Do you think of the fall into sin in Genesis 3? God had entrusted everything to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve handed it over to the devil. We do that today. We'd rather enjoy our own sinful appetites than restrain our sinful appetite and serve the Lord and his creation. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's one that I think is even a caution to the church today because you so often will hear Christians talk about the idea in the New Testament that we are to fear God. You'll hear them say, no, that doesn't actually mean fear. It means respect. We should respect God, no doubt about it. But there is also a fear of God that is right and good that the scriptures teach us to have. The Greeks had words for respect. If the epistle writers wanted us to respect Jesus, they would have said so. If that's what they meant by fear. But they regularly teach us that we should fear the Lord. There's something to that. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. We cannot hide our sins from him. One way I've heard it described quite beautifully is that the, lo- the fear of God drives out all other fears. When I realize that the Lord is more powerful than anything else, and that he has the strength to drag me through anything, uh, be it death or sickness, pain, suffering, whatever thing I might fear in this world, starvation, the loss of finances, the loss of a home or a job, uh, the, the death of a loved one, anything, right? Whatever we fear, the, lo- the fear of God teaches us we don't actually need to fear those other things because God is bigger than them. And when you get to that point and you start to realize that God is the only thing you have to fear, and Jesus very specifically says that in the, in the gospel account of Matthew, fear only that, only the one who can destroy body and soul in hell, and that's a reference to God and his judgment. When you realize that, that is when we get to hear the words of Christ. Do not be afraid. But before us sinners right now, the fear of God is still a very good thing. And again, it's instructed by God himself. All right, let's try to move through the second half of this text here swiftly. So what the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And that phrase is going to be used in two different ways. Right now, as we look at it in connection to verses 10 and 11, it's all of us. We are all under the law. Later on, we will also see that phrase used in regards to those who, like chapter 2, are trying to use the law to save themselves. I don't think it's that here, because the whole world is accountable to God. Every mouth may be stopped. 
is the, the language Paul follows it with. So I think this under the law is a reference to all of creation, that we all are supposed to, expected to, keep the law of God perfectly, and that we have failed to do so. The wor- by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. This is a, a very clear way to say it, but it's going to get even more clear in the next paragraph, so I'm going to hold off on it for the moment. But basically, saved by faith, right? Not by works. And we already talked about how the law kills. It's not the only use of the law, and we're going to see that at the end of the chapter too. So one of the uses of the law is to show us our sin. And Lutheran lingo and catechetical texts and things in the last few generations, we've talked about the law being a curb, a mirror, and a guide. That the law kills us is the mirror use of the law. It shows us our sins. Just as when you look in the mirror in the morning, you see your imperfections and your faults. right? So the law of God shows us how we have failed to keep his law. It shows us our imperfections and our faults. But the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Different. God's righteousness, God's perfection, God's holiness, God's justice is brought to us apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, and this is a reference to Jesus, right? All of the Old Testament, as he shared with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, all of the Old Testament points to Christ. It points us to salvation in him, that the Lord would keep his promises to his people. So here is how the righteousness of God is revealed, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. If you need that clarified, verse 23 does it. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's it. I mean, boom, mic drop, whatever kind of language you want to use. That's it. That's the gospel right there. We have all sinned. None of us have perfectly kept the commandments of God. Could be a family conversation point. Have you kept them perfectly? How have you broken the commandments even today? And he can walk through the commandments and talk about them together. So we can't save ourselves. We are saved, justified, gift, grace, redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is by his blood, which is the next section. Propitiation means to be made acceptable or pleasing in one's sight. So Jesus has propitiated for us. He has made us pleasing, acceptable in the sight of God. I surprised everyone last year and My Christmas Eve sermon was on the word propitiation and what it means. Received by faith. Not by works, not by doing enough good deeds. That you are made right in the eyes of God is a gift that is given to you and you don't earn it. You don't earn a gift, otherwise it's not a gift anymore. It is a gift. It is simply given to you and our faith receives it. Our faith holds on to the promises. We trust this promise. That's what that word faith means. So he has in his righteousness, in his divine forbearance, passed over former sins. Perhaps here I believe it to be a reference to the Old Testament, all those who trusted in the Messiah who was to come. The question sometimes gets asked, what happens to all the Old Testament people that were lived before Jesus and his forgiveness? 
God exists outside of time. God created time. And so as we get to look backwards on Jesus and the cross and know of his forgiveness and love for us, the Old Testament people of God, they looked forward to that promise, to that forgiveness, that salvation, that rescue from sin and death. And so those who trusted, who had faith in the promise, just as we trust and have faith in the promise, they are his. They are redeemed. All right, verse 27 what becomes of our boasting, right? We boast about our good works. We boast about me, me, me. Look at what I am doing. I'm doing all this for God. Can't he see what I'm doing? That's excluded. We don't boast. We are not saved by our own works. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Again, straightforward, clear. You are not saved by your own doing. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is a gift given for you, given to you. And so God is not God of just the Jews or just the Gentiles. He has delivered both. Circumcision was a gift. It welcomed people into the family of God in the Old Testament. He has saved those by faith. Remember, it's received. The gift is received by faith. So if they were circumcised, if they trust in the promises... They have been saved by faith. The uncircumcised have been saved through faith. Both, right? Uh, It is by trusting in the promise of God. It is by faith. The gift is received. So do we overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So the Christian does not say the law is bad. We have a hymn in our hymnal, the Lutheran service book, The Law of God is Good and Wise. It is his perfect will for his people. Imagine a society where we all kept the law of God, the Ten Commandments. We kept it perfectly. That would be almost like a paradise, right, when you think about it? This gets us to the third use of the law, curb, mirror, guide. Uh, The curb is the idea, like a curb on the side of a road, where, you know, the, the law helps us to see what we should not do. Uh, the law on our hearts, on our consciences, helps us to not do even more sin than we already do. Uh, just as the, the curb keeps the car from driving off the road and causing even more damage if it gets into a wreck. So our, our, our law that we receive from the Lord keeps us from doing greater harm. The mirror we've talked about shows us our sin. And then the guide. The law shows us how God wants us to live. And that's still true, it's still good, it's still right for his creation, even now. And so we do not jettison the law, we do not teach that the Old Testament is bad, we just show how all things point to Christ, and how we are saved through him. It is by his blood that you have been redeemed. You are his. Amen. Hallelujah. Let us praise the Lord in Christ your son.